G'day everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the podcast, The Road Less Travelled. My name is Nikki Shea and I am your host of this podcast. When we decided to put the podcast together, we've, it's been in the books probably for about the last four to five years and it's been shelved on a few occasions because we just didn't quite know the concept of where we want to take it. Well, what's it all about? I guess a lot of you have been asking me. Well, the Road Less Travelled Adventure Series is a podcast which pretty much documents and I guess it sort of encompasses all the bits and pieces in capturing the spirit of travel, discovery and adventure. And they are things that I'm pretty passionate and excited about doing. So when you join me, we uh, together experience glimpses into a world that's faded into history, which should be the people, the places, the ways of life from far-flung parts of the globe, pretty much to our own shores long before the age of modern modes of transport. In amongst that, we'll be caravanning, four-wheel driving, fishing, camping, gold detecting, which I love, uh, just various adventures, cooking and history all rolled into each episode. So it's a little bit about being out on the road here in Australia, which is a lot of where I really want to focus the podcast. And it also depends on the journey that we take together when uh, people start giving us little bits of history stories to follow as well. So that's a little bit about the Road Less Travel podcast brought to you by Fat Cat Media. You can jump onto our Facebook page and follow Fat Cat Media. That's where you'll get all the updates on our adventures and little bits and pieces along the way. You can follow the Road Less Travelled podcast. We are on iHeartRadio. Check out the podcast there. We're also on Apple Podcasts, which used to be known as iTunes. We're on Google Podcasts as well, and you can find us on the SoundCloud app as well. And for those of you who are on Spotify, you can search for the Road Less Travelled podcast on Spotify, and that's where you'll catch us on that particular podcast platform too. So plenty of opportunities to catch us. And when you do catch us on a whatever you listen to your podcast platform, please leave a review. I know everyone says please leave a review on their podcast, but please do so because it helps us improve. It helps get the word out there. And speaking of getting the word out there, we would love to get your feedback on the direction that the show's taking. Maybe you've got some words of encouragement, some words of complaint or whatever it would be. Uh, I'm not scared to tackle that feedback and I certainly appreciate it. You can drop me an email, which is fatcat, P-H-A-T-C-A-T, fatcat at iinet.net.au. You can also jump onto Facebook and leave us a Facebook message on Fat Cat Media on Facebook, or if you want to give me a call on 042-752-8467 or drop me a text message, 042-752-8467, and I'll be glad to get your feedback and, and have a chat. This week's edition of the podcast is sharing a little bit of family heritage. I took some... Uh, I watched uh, the SBS program, uh, Who Do You Think You Are? And Malcolm Turnbull was on there um, not that long ago talking about how he finds a, a sense of place and purpose and when he's in, in regards to Sydney, his hometown, and how much he loves it. And the words that he was describing, I felt that about this next place, and that's Lake Hilden. It's about 100 and, <clears throat> excuse me, 140, 150 k's northeast of Melbourne in the sort of just on the footsteps of the Alpine region of Victoria. And as I said, family history, I've been told this story and visited most of the locations over my time. And for me, I feel such a part of it. Sadly, I never met the men in the family tale that I'm about to talk to about talk to you about, but I feel that I know them very well. And apologies for many of you who also might know a bit of the history, but it's setting a scene of a time and a place. And we take it back to Mansfield, Victoria in 1918. My great-grandfather was Mansfield born and raised, Leslie Francis Graham. 
He had just returned to his hometown of Mansfield in Australia, injured from the battlefields of Belgium in the heart of the First World War. He worked for a time as a farmer and a miner with his friend and his neighbour Jim Campbell, who worked the farm, which is still actually located on the corner of the Mount Buller Road and Mansfield Wood Point Road. Both of these men obtained a soldier's settlement not too far from each other, and Les in what is now Pollard's Lane, which was then the new Ogilvy's estate, a few miles just out of Mansfield. A further 25 miles away from that was the town of Darlingford, which was located on the junction of the Big River and Goulburn River, was founded to service the farmers and graziers of the area, the timber cutters and the gold mining town of Enoch's Point. Darlingford was to be submerged when the then-known Sugarloaf Dam was built on the Golden River between Mount Sugarloaf and Mount Pinninger. This would later become extended to house what we now know is Lake Ilden, so that was where it was established. The Ilden Dam was built primarily as a water supply for irrigation and for flood mitigation purposes. Ilden Dam Number 1, which was called the Sugarloaf Dam, the Sugarloaf Weir or the Sugarloaf Reservoir up until 1927. This was originally constructed between 1914 and 1931. While initially completed in 1928, subsidence in 1929 necessitated a further three years' work, adding more rock fill to the outer slopes, and the dam was built by the State Rivers and Water Supply Commission known at the time. The site of Lake Ilden was chosen for at least two reasons. The river bot- bottom was solid rock, which provided an excellent foundation for the dam wall, and a relatively small area of land would be submerged. No railway lines would be affected. The only towns to be affected were Darlingford, which would end up under around 20 metres of water, as well as the village of Upper Thornton. At that time, Upper Thornton had consisted of a public hall, a school, a post office, and these are now submerged at the Thornton end of the pondage at Lake Ilden. As well as the Darlingford Township, individual properties fully or partially lost included those owned by Sid Allen, John Barnwell, Beatty Chant, Fries, Gilmore, Nicholas, Rennie, Sawyers, Taylor, Waterson and Wood. Some houses at Darlingford were to be relocated, others were to be dismantled, and bodies in the local cemetery were exhumed and reburied in Ilden, Alexandra and the Mansfield cemeteries. Although it wasn't to be inundated by water, the township of Enoch's Point was also doomed by the dam as it cut off the town's valley access, leaving only narrow and difficult tracks to Kevington and then Warburton. The town and surrounding locations of farms and buildings of Darlingford were sold off with relocation of buildings, families and farms taking place. Going back to my great-grandfather, Les Graham, he heard of Mrs Waterson selling off part of her farm for extremely cheap prices. The Waterson house had to be sold to another man, a Mr Wood. However, so family history goes, he was unable to afford the transportation of the entire house to Mansfield, so it stood idle. Bearing in mind, at this time, the waters were starting to rise, so it was imperative if people wanted to come and grab these bits of a bargain, if you like, they'd do so because the waters of Lake Ilden were starting to rise, it was going to cut off and they were going to be flooded out. So always keen on a bargain, Les Graham purchased the house for what I'm told was £10 from Mrs Waterson and he alone began dismantling the home. 
The house was dismantled piece by piece, then it was transported on a horse-drawn dray, and the team then rode from Darlington, Darlingford, rather not Darlington, from Darlingford to the property in Mansfield, which we think was a distance of that time about 20 to 25 miles, and then they'd do it back again. From what, I'm, what I remember being told, it took them around a month to dismantle the home, including the chimney, and another month or two to rebuild the structure on his new farm, which was to be now known as Orange Grove. This was due to the orange trees planted alongside the driveway of the new house. Les Graham soon had a suitable house, and Orange Grove began to evolve into the farm he had hoped it would be and it did become a home after Les Graham married Edith Cook in 1925, who was his friend Jim, Jim Campbell's sister-in-law. Orange Grove was a 100-acre farm that sustained three adults and two children over the Depression years with a young family and hard work the, fam, the, family, family, the family farm took shape. Sadly, after two girls, Norma and my nan Lila were born, and infant son Leslie Powell Pal Graham died at the age of six months. Unfortunately, without a son to take over the property, the Graham family sold off the farm in 1937 and left the district around 1938-1939. I do recall my grandmother saying that they were one of the first people to come through the Black Spur after the 1939 fires um, moving from um, excuse me, moving from Mansfield after they sold the farm, uh, they moved down towards Melbourne and she said that the, the devastation was uh, unbelievable after those 1939 fires. Back to Orange Grove. The house is still there and in 1992 we were very, very lucky and fortunate to be given a tour of the place by the then new owners who were in the process of building a new modern home adjacent to Orange Grove with plans to demolish the original house. So I was able to see the rooms and the home. This is with my nan. Uh, my nan, we just happened to be driving past at the time. She said, oh, we always used to like to go down there and just have a look at the farm. And uh, we were taking some photos at the time of the drive. I must have looked like stalkers back in 1992. And the actual owners came down and we started talking. And they said, hey, do you want to come in and have a look? And we said, no, we don't want to impose on you. They said, no, please come and have a look. So to the Pollards, thank you very much. And, and as I said, I was able to see the rooms and the home with my nan. Um, it was her childhood where she was pointing out how things had been made or additions had been made, uh, a very moving, a really nostalgic, nostalgic journey. As I said, happily, Orange Grove is still standing today and has looked to have been renovated, but it still maintains its original 1920s integrity. It's a testament to the hard work of my great-grandfather, Les Graham, over 100 years ago. And I've been in contact with the owners who are still the same owners that we met in 1992. They've sent photos and we've been exchanging uh, emails and so forth about uh, bits and pieces, so a little bit of family history. I'm actually pretty grateful that I'm able to remember some of these these tales and with there was a lot of interest um I posted this up on the Mansfield Historical Society and there was a lot of history history and interest in that post. Um I thought I'd tie another piece together for many there was actually a school in the Ogilvy's estate Ogilvy's estate State School, SS4393, operated from 1929 until 1938 just out of Mansfield. Ogilvy's estate, uh, just to give you some background, was a part of the soldier settlement scheme from World War One, and uh, we've already spoken about how we got Orange Grove you know, in the in the in the books. Uh, this property is still operating on Pollard's Road, Mansfield, thanks to Rick 
Pollard again for joining some of the family dots. As for the state school, it's long gone and the only remnants are of a grove of pine or cypress trees on Pollard's land as you head towards Mount Bullets on your right-hand side. And I've still got pictures of the pupils of the school in about what we think is about 1936, 90, 1937. Um, so Norma Graham and Lila Graham went there. And unfortunately, the girls, this is one thing that I took out of this story about the school. The Graham girls got the horrid nickname of Mouldy Pig on reference to their surname. Grey meaning mouldy and hammers in pig, something which really irked my nan. Um, it's just unbelievable. So Norma Graham was born at Alexandra Hospital in 1927 and Lila Graham was born at the Mansfield Hospital in 1929. Their infant brother, Leslie Powell Graham, who died at the age of about six or seven months, is buried at the Mansfield Cemetery. He was buried there in 1935. And as uh, I said to you earlier on, the the area of Lake Yildon holds such a special place in, in my heart. Um, my grandparents had a holiday home at, at uh, Taylor Bay after years. Every year they'd go camping at Bonnie Doon and then Fraser Park. And my grandparents had their honeymoon at uh, Lake Yildon. My parents had their honeymoon at Lake Yildon. So just, I don't know why, it's just sort of entrenched in the genes. And you may have seen the photograph of the Darlingford Hotel, which accompanies this podcast, Alan's Darlingford Hotel, with uh, I think it's about four gentlemen leaning on, leaning on a cart out the front of the hotel. And as we said earlier, the side of the Darlingford Hotel, well, now, that now sits at the bottom of Lake Yildon. Um, and if you want to find out around it, roughly that area, it's between Mansfield and Yildon, as I said, in the Alpine region of Victoria. Darlingford was named after Sir Charles Darling, who was the governor of Victoria. It came into being in the 1860s after gold was discovered in the area. And at its peak, Darlingford had seven hotels, five policemen, a log jail, shops, post office, and a small slab hut used as a school. By 1907, it had just one hotel and general store, which was run by Timothy Kelly. News that the government planned the massive water reservoir at Darlingford prompted Kelly to retire from business, and the old weatherboard single-story pub was taken over by an enterprising Thomas Allen, uh, Thomas Allen that same year in 1907. As I spoke about earlier, the construction of that sugarloaf weir would bring many customers to the bar of Allen's pub, to house the men working on the reservoir, the new shanty town of Ilden began to develop. The State Rivers and Water Supply Commission built houses for their staff, a large mess room and single men's accommodation. Sugarloaf Reservoir construction commenced in 1915 and was completed in 1929. That is the old dam. So when Lake Ilden that you know of it now recedes down to a certain level, you will see the old uh, dam wall come up. And you will, even if you go up there right now, you'll see where they've got the, I think there's about four or five floating markers. That's where the old dam wall is and the old tower um, becomes exposed when the wet, when the water goes right down. Tom Allen embarked on business enterprises in various parts of the upper Goldman area. And when the government decided to construct that sugarloaf weir, he and his brother saw the opportunity of buying the pub at Darlingford. The pub was closed at the end of 1920 as the government had resumed all the land in the Big River Valley, which included the township site, but not before, of course, Old Tom had made plenty of money from the thirsty dam workers at the time. 
The Allen brothers uh, acquired the Rubicon Hotel in Thornton in 1921 and the family took up residence there as the licensee. So um, just a little bit of history and I'll pop up a photo as well of the Darlingford Hotel in 1929, uh, 1924, I beg my pardon, when the water from the dam was uh, lapping at its door. So it's about 20 metres underwater. It's at the junction of uh, where the Goulburn River and the Big River join and speaking of when the water recedes in Lake Yildon in matters of drought you can still see the Big River Bridge which goes uh, I think it was uh, about constructed about 1930 I think from from what I can remember being told Um, and yeah I'll put up some photos of that I've got a picture of my grandmother standing on that when it was when the dam was uh, at one of its lowest levels back in the 2000s and that is the big river bridge so whilst Darlingford was inundated by the rising waters in the 1920s of the then Sugarloaf Dam we turned to another town that was impacted by the rising waters of Lake Ilden and that's Bonnie Doon located on the Brankeet Inlet which is on the northern extremes of Lake Yildon, about 115 kilometres northeast of Melbourne. It was originally called Doon, and the township was on the Brankeet Creek. The name was changed to Bonnie Doon shortly before 1900, and it was in 1956 that the town was moved to higher ground when again Lake Yildon was enlarged to the size of what you see the lake now. The name Doon was given by an early settler, Thomas Nixon, probably after Doon Lock, which uh, is in Scotland. The history of Bonnie Doon is back in the 1870s when selectors took up land in the area. A school was opened in 1871. Church buildings came rather later. There was a Catholic church in 1885, Anglican in 1899 and a Presbyterian church in 1900. The Presbyterian church was dedicated to the memory of Queen Victoria and is recorded as the very first monument in the British Empire to be so dedicated after her death. Bit of trivia for you. The mention of gold concerns mainly Main Dample and Dry Creek in the area, although gold was mined from time to time at Bonnie Doon. The township at the time also had several stores and a mechanics institute. As I mentioned earlier, in about 1912-1915, the forerunner of Lake Hilton was constructed damming, as we know, the Goulburn, they, they dammed the, the Goulburn, the Delatite Rivers, um, as I mentioned, the Big River. And as farming expanded in northeast Victoria, the demand for irrigation water grew, and immediately after World War II was the prospect of Bonnie Doon being inundated by that enlarged water storage. Despite the loss of farmland, the enlargement of Lake Yilda proceeded and by 1953, the physical transfer of houses and buildings to higher ground near the Anglican and Presbyterian churches took place. The local population more than doubled for a few years while the dam works were underway. Not all residents remained in the new town. Some adjusted to Bonnie Doon's waterside environment, which became a venue for water sports and boating. Holiday settlements developed in Bonnie Doon and a few kilometres to the south on the bank of Lake Hilden. Bonnie Doon is on the Maroondah Highway, just west of where the Bonnie Doon Bridge crosses the Brankeet Inlet. Beside the road bridge was the railway, which ceased to be used in 1978. During the droughts of 1982-83 in the 2000s, many of the old buildings were uncovered were uncovered, as I spoke about earlier, as uh, Ilden's water level fell. Bonnie Doon now has a caravan park, community centre, recreation reserve, hotel motels and numerous holiday houses. It offers camping, fishing, water skiing and boating. The school closed in 1998 and west of Bonnie Doon is Merton, which is a pastoral district with a small village. For a holiday spot, Bonnie Doon 
is the prime and you would have known all about Bonnie Doon from the Australian movie The Castle. We're all going to Bonnie Doon. Yes, Bonnie Doon does exist. And Bonnie Doon, one of the prominent families of Bonnie Doon was the Friday family. And going back to my great-grandparents, my great-grandmother was in the Mansfield Hospital having her daughter, which was to be my grandmother, who was named Lila. And in the bed next to my great-grandmother was Anne Friday. And Anne Friday and my great-grandmother started chit-chatting away. And my great-grandmother had a daughter called Lila. And uh, Mrs. Friday had a daughter who she would call Leela. And they thought nothing more of it. And that was in 1929. And up until both ladies passing, um, uh, Anne Friday passed away about 1988, I think, or 1990, and my great-grandmother in 1992. Those two ladies uh, extended a friendship for all that time. Uh, they had the loss of children. They had the loss of husbands. They had the loss of farms. They went through uh, world war, droughts, um, tough tough life on on the farm and and on the land and uh Anne Friday was an absolutely lovely lady one of the stalwarts of uh of Bonnie Doon and the Friday family is well known throughout that uh, Bonnie Doon area and Anne Friday unfortunately lost her husband uh they had a farm on Dry Creek Road in Bonnie Doon and as the waters of Lake Hilda were starting to rise uh Mr Friday was busily trying to pull out all these uh, plants to take to his new property. He didn't want to leave anything behind and unfortunately had a heart attack and drowned. So a sad tale to the end of, of Mr Friday. But uh, I do recall Mrs Friday. We know She was known as Granny Friday or Auntie Anne and she was just a, a lovely lady and we used to go and visit her quite often. So that's the story of both Darlingford and Bonnie Doon, two places quite close to my heart being part of family history and uh, of course Lake Gildan just a, a fantastic area that I, I don't know why but it just um, it resonates something with me and I found it really in, an interesting exercise and I hope that this encourages other people to learn a bit more about their family background I find it quite inspiring and just the tenacity and, and courage of some of my forefathers and forebearers and history is both personal, local and national. And our national history is made up of a whole set of personal stories. And this is just one of them. So again, I hope it encourages you to put pen to paper and write down the stories that you get told from your um, your parents, your grandparents, and ask the questions. I now sort of regret a lot of the questions that I didn't ask because once they've gone, they're gone. So it's up to us and our generation to make sure we keep the stories of family history and a sense of place and purpose alive and, and record them because once they're gone, they'll never be retrieved. So by telling the story of that little family adventure and that little part of family history will lead me on to a, another tale and adventure coming up in the not dis not too distant future and it's the hunting down of the trail of Les Graham's lost gold mine as I said earlier on in the introduction Les Graham was a farmer and a gold miner and while times were tough during the depression um, he used to go down to the Delatite River down to Big River and do some gold mining and he actually went into partnership with someone uh, and leased a gold mine they did they made a, a gold mine so uh, that's a little story that I've got in the pipeline of uh, finding the lost gold mine of Les Graham I hope you've enjoyed a little bit of a trip down memory lane for, for me probably not but it's just a tale that I I thought it's best to put down on paper as I said earlier and, and put down for prosperity because uh, it's a really good tale of history place and people 
And these little tales, as I said, if we don't tell them, they, they will be gone and lost forever. That's it for this week's edition of the Road Less Travelled podcast. Be sure to tune in and we've got some great content coming up in future episodes. We'll be heading out uh, later on this year. We'll be heading back to South Australia to the Flinders Ranges and some other trips that we've got planned to around the local areas of Victoria. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back with another adventure not too far away on the Road Less Travelled.